0: Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer.
1: Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. Today, I am speaking with Mark Plamondon, who is the Executive Director of Alberta's Industrial Heartland Association. Mark is a seasoned business executive with over 25 years of experience in management, operation, optimization, and financial analysis, primarily in mining processing operations. Mark joined Alberta's Industrial Heartland Association in 2017 and leads the organization's business development strategy and is really critical in building and enhancing relationships with investors, governments, and other stakeholders across the globe. Mark, welcome to The Chemical Show.
2: Good afternoon. Uh, Thanks for having me here, Victoria.
1: Absolutely. Mark, what's your origin story? What got you interested in mining and investments and ultimately to where you are with Alberta's Industrial Heartland Association? Sure, happy
2: to talk a little bit about myself here. So I've been very, fortunate throughout my career, Um, and I'll talk about how I made my way up to Fort Saskatchewan, which is where the office is for Alberta's industrial heartland. But I basically, if I look back to university days, I started out, did an engineering degree at the University of British Columbia uh, in Vancouver, and one of the sort of strengths of that university in engineering was mining and and metallurgy, and I ended up uh, getting a metallurgical engineering degree, and so that put me in a position really to work in mining and metallurgical type operations, which led me then to work for a company called um, Sherritt Gordon, which changes my name to Sherritt and then Sherritt International. And their refining operations is based in Fort Saskatchewan. So that moved me from British Columbia, where I was working uh, elsewhere, and, and came up to Sherritt in Fort Saskatchewan. And that's how I got planted in Fort Saskatchewan. But that opened up a wide range of doors because at that time, Sherritt, which is a, uh, a refinery here in Fort Saskatchewan is a nickel and cobalt refining operation. That's, they were in the middle of a huge growth period yeah. and they were expanding significantly. You had a lot of uh, capital going into Cuba, a lot of operations mm-hmm. in Cuba. So nickel mining and processing operations in Cuba, they uh, were expanding, buying out a coal mining company, expanding, looking at mines in Madagascar. And so that just positioned me really well. If You join a growing company and it's, it's obviously way more fun to be in a growing company than a shrinking company because there's just a wide range of opportunities and the company needs people to go out and, and, and work in these opportunities. And so I was given a wide range of opportunities. I worked in a number of international uh, operations and different things. I was also able to, because of the proximity of the University of Alberta, I was able to get my uh, MBA from the University of Alberta, the business school there. Between the the engineering degree, the MBA, and then the the international operations uh, in mining and metallurgy, it was a great combination when the Industrial Heartland was looking for an executive director. Again, their offices are based here in Fort Saskatchewan. And that range of experience with Working with international investors, being in front of being in front of boards, uh, being in front of both equity and debt holders, which all I had done all throughout my career, shared, I think, positioned me quite well to to understand what investors are looking for, what is needed to attract capital, and so that it was just it worked quite nicely. My I live in Fort Saskatchewan, the office for the Industrial lands here in Fort Saskatchewan. I'm familiar with the area based on my past work experience. And so that's what brought me up here. And I've been doing this since 2017.
1: That's perfect. So can you tell us a little bit about the Industrial Heartland Association? Because I think people may not be familiar with it.
2: Yeah, happy to do so. Alberta's Industrial Heartland Association, what it is, an association of municipalities. And each of these municipalities has land in a heavy industrial cluster called Alberta's Industrial Heartland. The municipalities are the City of Edmonton, City of Fort Saskatchewan, and strathcona sturgeon and lamont counties and the industrial heartland sits just in the northeast corner of the edmonton metropolitan region in alberta your listeners are probably throughout north america i would guess
1: i thinking hockey that's what i'm yeah. thinking like that's when you right. say edmonton i think hockey that's so right. you know that's right you've anchored me there great, yeah
2: <laughs> great history of sports great strong strength in hockey and others so that's right so the edmonton region very well known for hockey but in the northeast corner of the edmonton region sits Canada's largest hydrocarbon processing region called Alberta's industrial heartland. And it spans a little bit of land spans each of those, those municipalities. So those municipalities all contribute some funding to the association. We have a total of 10 people in my shop here hmm. and the the purpose of the association primarily is to market the region and to work with companies around the world when they're looking to build their next petrochemical or large scale value added energy project. When they're considering all jurisdictions, whether it's Gulf Coast or Middle East or Europe or China, wherever, we want them to consider the industrial heartland as one of their jurisdictions. And then we work with these companies around understanding the regions, the competitive advantages, the regulatory framework, we'll, we'll make introductions to potential joint venture partners, we'll walk them through the regulatory process, do a number of things, uh, state selection services and others, We'll do a number of those types of services to help companies figure out if their next capital investment makes sense in the industrial heartland. And so that's the reason to be as an association, but we also have a couple of other things, uh, a couple of other pillars, if I can call them. We also have uh, a couple of folks working uh, in government relations, and this is primarily to help the provincial and federal government understand the importance of this region. We want to be able to shape policy where we can have input, where we we can have conversation as both the provincial and federal government are shaping policy or incentive programs, et cetera. We want to be able to try to have input into that and to help that process along. And then we have, I've got somebody here focused on community relations and communications. So this is social license and we can talk about yeah. this a little bit as we go but as if you want to grow an industrial area you need support from your community if you don't have support you're way better off to have a welcoming community than to have a hostile community and so that dialogue with community and communications is really important and we work closely with the industry in this area in that area as well
1: yeah those are all really important things i in my uh, prior life if you will when i was with shell i did i was at the front end of what is now Shell Pennsylvania and the the new polyethylene investment yes. that, that Shell has started up recently. And we worked with a number of associations or economic development groups out of the various states because site selection is significant and figuring out how to optimize Location and resources, and as you talk about working with governments to understand what the impact is on, heck, the quality of life and the opportunities and then get the appropriate support along the way is really critical to making those investments.
2: Yeah, and we find this service. I think the service is, is most useful for new entrants, right? Hmm. So for companies that have been operating here for decades, they know their business, they know their workforce. Of course, we partner on a lot of things, but really yeah. they've got substantial expertise. But if you're a foreign company mm-hmm. and you're – Looking in this jurisdiction for the first time, all of these things, uh, I think the service really supports a lot of the uh, activities, helps them to accelerate the activities, really, because you, you don't even know where to start in some cases if you're a foreign company looking to invest.
1: Yeah. Did you absolutely. ever make
2: your way up to the industrial heartland then? Because, of course, Chef Not- Scottford was one of the. No, I,
1: I never did. So I've spent some time in Canada and Calgary. And, of course, we talked about BC and skiing. I've made my way to whistler because that yeah. was pretty awesome uh, yeah. but i actually haven't been up to fort saskatchewan or to scotford although again I, I did some work with those facilities but from afar
2: far okay yeah yeah because that's yeah. again one of one of shell's global five global chemical parks is shell scotford yeah. is here in industrial island yeah. right.
1: and shell was very proud of it and of course in dow as well and, and dow was the most recently announced right so they recently announced their final investment decision for their path to zero project, which I know they and others are super excited about the first net zero ethylene cracker, which is going to be there at Fort Saskatchewan. So what's significant about that investment for you?
2: Yeah, so let's talk about that. It's such a wonderful announcement for the region. Congratulations to Dow and everybody involved in that project. So. Lots of significant things about it. Of course, the magnitude is significant. Of course, this is a multi-billion dollar investment. And of course, as you mentioned, the world's first net zero ethylene manufacturing facility. But the one point that I like to emphasize about this investment and why it's so critical for us here is that it really sends a signal to the world. A company like Dell that can really put capital anywhere and have capital projects all over the world For them to choose the industrial heartland for this first project to go net zero, um, it just sends to the world that look, this region has got obviously the low-cost feedstock, the carbon capture sequestration capability, the overall value proposition that um, makes a company or leads to a company like Dow choosing this jurisdiction over anywhere else in the world. So what it does is it is a great marketing story for the region, right? So when we're talking with companies now around the world and we're pointing out the value proposition here, you've got evidence that it it is a jurisdiction where companies can not only meet their economic but their environmental goals because it's, it's evidenced by Dow reaching their final investment decision here. So it's very exciting. We think it's a great... Uh, project for the region. And, and Dow, of course, has been a strong corporate citizen in this region. And so we're so happy to see them uh, expand on their current site here. Yes.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. They they have been there in Fort Saskatchewan for such a long time. and And it's a great, it's a great statement for them to continue to be there and to continue to invest. Because as you said, there's many choices that companies have when they're looking to invest. Of course, we're, we're fortunate in North America with the ethane basis and of course, Canada and the industrial heartland with its ethane basis to have cheap feedstock, to have abundant natural resources. And then of course, today with carbon capture and sequestration, which is such a critical tool for the petrochemical mm-hmm. industry, That's it, it's a great fit.
2: Yeah, and so that's that's the one-two punch right there. As you said, some of the lowest-cost ethane feedstocks in the world, but it's not the the carbon capture and sequestration capability. It's not like some pie-in-the-sky idea. Those assets have been in the ground operating here in the heartland. The Shell Quest project was built and has been sequestering carbon dioxide since two thousand fifteen, and the Alberta Carbon Trunk Line, which uh, is another asset in the region, that's been. In operation since 2019, 2020. And it has capacity of 14.6 million tons a year of CO2, of which about 10% is being utilized. So there's substantial capacity of huh. pipe in the ground and capability to sequester today. It's not like it's something you need to build five, six years from now and you hope that it'll work and you hope you get this, the pore space and the sequestration rights on them. All of that's in place, the regulatory is in place, the assets in place, and, and you've got those assets here now to date, which adds competitive advantage today. If you're thinking about yeah. de-risking a project, there's one whole component of your project now, the carbon sequestration, carbon management component, which is already a leg up compared to other jurisdictions in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I did not realize that those had been in place for so long, because obviously there's still... Much discussion across the world, across the U.S., across the world about building more carbon capture assets, but to have them already in existence, operating, de-risked, as you say, is critical.
2: And with capacity. It's not like they're at capacity. (laughs) So so that's, I think, a really strong statement for this region. That is a, a piece of infrastructure. That just really adds to the value proposition. And So as we started, I started here in 2017, and and it's been interesting to see how the conversations have developed uh, around the world since 2017. So you can't have a conversation today on a large scale petrochemical or value add energy project without talking about carbon management. That's just how it goes today. Back in 2017, it wasn't quite the case. You you didn't have as much dialogue on this, but today it's just part of the conversation. It is just standard. How is a company gonna manage their carbon? What does the CCS looks like? What's the carbon price framework? What's the regulatory framework? All of these things now are just standard conversations. And so having the carbon capture sequestration infrastructure in place and operating here and companies that have the capability to, to do this stuff I think that's a real strength for this region. And I I think that was part of the overall thought that uh, Dow had here because the Path to Zero project is utilizing hydrogen production and CCUS to decarbonize their site.
1: So Mark, one of the things you talked about is is how you really provide that interface role with the municipalities and governments, as well as the investors and helping understand the value. And I know, and certainly others do as well, that creating tax and other financial incentives becomes a really important component of a project decision. Can you touch on that? What does that typically look like if you're able to at all?
2: Absolutely. And and you're exactly right. Government incentives are a part of the overall competitiveness framework in jurisdictions that is, it's really table stakes these days. I think governments around the world in, in the last sort of decade have really recognized that these large-scale energy projects provide economic value and economic activity for decades, decades. Absolutely. Especially here in the heartland, the projects here are their value adds. Feedstock may move around, but the assets here stay and run for a long time. The first facility was built in the 1950s, next one in the sixties. And so this right. companies have been operating here for decades and decades. But so recognizing that, uh the federal, provincial and municipal governments here all recognize how important it is to make sure that we level the playing field on a competitiveness framework. And so there are some need, there is some need for incentives. And fortunately, we have got support from all three levels of government for the value add energy investments here. The federal government has a range of investments. They've rolled out things like the carbon capture CCUS tax credits. They've got incentives and tax credits for hydrogen for clean energy type projects At the provincial level, the provincial province, the government of Alberta really has stepped forward. Uh, A few years ago, they put in place what's called the Alberta Petrochemical Incentive Program. And that program is, I really like the way it's structured. It is structured that once a multi billion dollar, for hundreds of millions of dollars, petrochemical facility or multi billion is built, then that facility will receive. grants up to the up around 12% of the eligible capital over the next three years. So it is a That's significant two things. It provides cash flow directly in the form of grants in the first few years of operation to really help the company recover their capital. Yeah. But it does it in a way that doesn't really put the that uh, incentive at risk or doesn't put the taxpayer at risk if the project uh, doesn't go ahead. Got it. So You're not providing it before the project is built. The project needs to be operational, and then the incentive flows. So all of the economic activity from construction flows into the the region and then ultimately into the government in terms of its uh, taxes, et cetera. And then you get grants back up to 12% of capital over the first three years. So that is a tremendous incentive program from the province. And then the municipalities in the industrial heartland, all the municipalities as well, put forward what's called the heartland incentive Program and they put bylaws in place that also will provide tax exemptions at the municipal level up to two and a half percent of eligible capital for projects that are built. Again, it's not before they're built. Once they're built and operating, then it's tax exemption. But what that does is it provides certainty to companies that when they hit the criteria and they build the facility that they will receive uh, direct and meaningful incentives that help with the economics of their projects. And so that has also, in total, enhanced the uh, competitiveness of this region.
1: It sounds like it. And of course, as you and I both know, having uh, probably run a lot of economics on projects and stuff, the sooner that those incentives can hit and improve cash flow, the better it is for everybody. It's great for the locale. It's great for the company. And I know you know the ACC, American Chemistry Council, and others do a lot of benchmarking around what the economic impact of a petrochemical investment is upon the community. Um, and, and the last number I saw was for every job created at a site, something like six jobs are created in the community, right? So it's school and grocery stores and restaurants and other workers and employment and then you think about logistics and all of that and so it becomes really an economic engine for the community for decades
2: for, for, for decades. decades and that's one yeah. of the messages that we like to let, talk to governments about is it's not something that is just close shop and move to another yeah. jurisdiction it is in the ground and operational for decades yeah. and the nice thing about the industrial heartland because the facilities here operate off some of the lowest cost feedstocks in the world Once the capital is in the ground, you're now operating really on a marginal revenue and marginal cost basis. And so you're going to have a profitable facility, or at least that's what's been demonstrated here. You have profitable facilities for decades, that pay taxes for decades, that provide jobs for decades, economic activity for decades. So. We think there's a great story here, and I think the the alignment across the federal, provincial, and municipal governments in order to provide incentives to companies, I think that's a great story that we like to tell. uh, Absolutely. I think it's a
1: very unique alignment to have that all tied together. That's great. So we talk a lot about customer centricity on the chemical show it's one of our hot topics and you obviously have a very wide range of customers and stakeholders with Alberta's industrial heartland association site selection and capital investments are tough decisions they're very complex it involves a number of people and a number of factors when you think about your your customers maybe first of all who do you think of as your customers And then, what do you find critical to building that alignment and to building that customer focus?
2: Yeah, great question. So, how I I view our shop, I view ourselves first of all as really as an collaborative extension of the municipalities. So, Mm -hmm. we're representing the municipalities in a collaborative effort on the global stage. Our customers, there's all sorts of stakeholders for sure, but our customers primarily are going to be. We want to provide the service to companies. To figure out their next capital investment. So our first focus is providing quality service to companies, which includes providing credible information, providing the right contacts, insight into what's happening in the industrial heartland, site selection services. But I'm so focused on providing credible services. We just want to be professional, be factual, provide the information that's requested, and just really... Because we, we, if you take that first meeting with a company, you need to get the second, third, and fourth meeting. So you need to right. be credible and you need to provide the information that's going to help them advance their projects. But as part of those services, when you mentioned this as well, other stakeholders, um, It's really an extension of all of it. Because if you're going to provide service to a company for their next capital investment, you need to have the framework that is going to be conducive for investment. And so all right. of the components of that framework. So competitiveness, So we work with governments to help ensure competitiveness. We help with provincial municipal governments on infrastructure to ensure the infrastructure is in place, all in line of trying to meet that end goal of getting responsible investment here in the industrial arena. And likewise, you mentioned uh, other stakeholders. The community is very important, and and it's a long game with the community. You have to build trust up over the long term, work with companies collectively so that we ensure information is provided to the communities here so that there is a feeling of trust and dialogue and then ultimately support for growth in the region. And that's not just us. We do that in a collaborative effort amongst with industry and other associations here. And we have an organization here called Life in the Heartland and it's a collective amongst four organizations specifically to build community engagement and community trust and community relationships so they support uh, growth in this region, and so while, in simplistic terms, our customer ultimately is, is the customer, but there is in yeah. uh, sorry, our customer is the company. Yeah, but there is a number of facets of this uh, value proposition that needs to be worked on it continuously in order to provide value for the region.
1: Yeah, that's great, and and here in the Gulf Coast, and really almost across the world, we talk, we're talking a lot about talent and talent availability. When you look at the um, energy and petrochemical industry in the U.S. Gulf Coast, the average age of employees is, I don't know, 52 or something, right? which means many are retiring. When we look at making an investment and building, you need the construction resources, you need operator resources. How are you or the communities engaging to develop talent and ensure that the workforce is in place? Because that is such a critical component of success.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there's all sorts of constraints that are looked at by companies when they're considering their projects. So talent is one. Of all, you look through the whole project, all the components of a project. There's all sorts of constraints, yeah. um, feedstocks, land, et cetera, but definitely talent and the workforce is a component that companies look at when they're looking at their next project, where it should be sitting, etc. Our involvement or our participation in, in developing talent, of course, we're not directly responsible for direct right. developing talent. There's post-secondary institutions, there's polytechniques in this region, best in class. The companies, they also see that they have uh, a lot of their workforce in that boomer age that the, a, yeah. a wave of retirements are probably going to happen and there'll be huge demand for for new folks and new craft and skilled labor and all that. So we get, I think our involvement more is given that we're at the very pointy end of the spear in conversations around investments in this region and what's coming. We try to signal to the region and to the, the governments in this region, municipal, provincial, and even federal. The magnitude of investments that we're having conversations about, the total magnitude and type of investments that could be coming here, that leads to a you know, a total investment landscape of X certain amount, dollar amount, which leads to an estimate of how much skill labor, how much craft, how much apprenticeships. And that allows those folks who are responsible for Programs and funding apprenticeships and programs and schools, et cetera, to give maybe a better view of what's coming and position themselves to provide that framework to help drive development of talent. So that's part of it. That, the long game is, of course, school programs, et cetera. The short game, of course, is drawing talent from elsewhere. And so that, of course, is the nature of having a robust uh, employment for lots of jobs in this area based on the activity that's happening here. And that will draw skilled craft and operators and construction workers from areas around. But again, signaling the amount of activity here raises awareness in other jurisdictions of what's going on here to try to attract that talent here. Our role is, I'm going to say, indirect in terms of signaling and communicating what we see coming. And then those who are responsible for funding these programs and putting the programs together, they can do so with more confidence knowing what's coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a symbiotic relationship, right? You have to align everybody and keep the communications flowing.
2: Certainly, and, and the, the, the folks who run the post-secondary institutions here, they all know how to yeah. set up these programs and they know yeah. where the funding is. And so we just want to make sure that, that we have good dialogue around what we see coming so that they can do what they need to do to get the programs in place, yeah
1: yeah so i think we're it's i've talked to people about economics and i think capital investment is always maybe a leading indicator or somewhere in the middle right in the industry we love to be rather cyclical it seems in terms of our build (laughs) versus bust cycles and i think for the entirety of my career we all keep saying we need to get out of those cycles but it is what it is how do you see i don't know where i was going with this mark All right, let me start this one again because I had a point that I was coming to for you. Yeah. So there's been a lot of evolution across the markets and industries in the past three years, right? So the 2020s have been unique versus other decades that certainly in, in your and my career. How do you see that affecting investment what are the leading indicators that you're looking for when you think about investments in the industrial heartland and how you can support that growth in those constituents yeah to to take
2: your point on on the early 2020s a lot of the conversation at that time was reshoring and french shoring and supply chains here in north america and and we thought that there might be significance economic activity and capital investment associated with some of that and, and and maybe some of that is the case but i think what we've seen really with the the biggest trend that we've seen in the 2020s in terms of leading indicators and is really driven more by the global push on decarbonization to be honest as governments around the world are, are setting targets and ambitions around reduction of greenhouse gases and de- industrial decarbonization and decarbonizing hard to abate sectors that really puts a bit of a uh the search is on from foreign companies to look around the world to see where can they put their capital in order to meet their own country's needs for decarbonization and here i'm talking about energy products right, right. So if you're talking I guess you could be talking LNG, you could also be talking hydrogen, you could also be talking ammonia, but all with a, um, at least on the hydrogen ammonia front, a, a lower carbon footprint for those energy products than perhaps you could get elsewhere in the world. And so I'd say from a leading indicator standpoint, what's been interesting here in the sort of mid 2020s and going into 2024 here is there's, I'd say tremendous global interest in decarbonization and low carbon energy products, which positions, again, it positions the industrial arm so nicely because the feedstocks already are are fairly low carbon feedstocks compared to others and the carbon capture sequestration that we talked about. And so I think that and I'm sorry if I've got off tangent from an exaggerated question. No, Once, you're fine. From an yeah. indicator and in capital investment standpoint, I think that's a trend that we're really seeing that we think will will put the industrial land front and center on the map in terms of a place to put capital.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's great. So we're here at the, this po- podcast is being published at the beginning of 2024. When you look ahead, what's on your agenda for the year? What should we be looking for from you, from the Industrial Heartland Association and just the action and the movement going to be, what are you looking at? Sure.
2: There's a few things. And before I talk about our business development activities and our marketing around the world, next year is our 25th anniversary as well. So as
1: an association, Congratulations.
2: Yeah. So we've been around 25 years since as a municipal collaboration. I think that is uh, really important to celebrate. Um, yeah. I think the municipalities who started the industrial heartland really should be proud at taking a leadership position way back in 1999. 1998 yeah. was the initial sort of documents. And then the association was formed in 1999. The bylaws put in place and, and I think that was a really strong leadership position amongst the municipalities to take a collaborative approach to uh, economic development of this, you know, the large, uh, heavy industrial space. And I think they should be proud of that. 25 years of what I think has been uh, really a great uh, level of activity and hopefully a uh, good service for companies uh, coming to this region. So yeah. that's happening from our association next year. So you'll hear that all year. We'll be talking about our 25th. Anniversary. I think
1: that's great. And I think 25 years is a good milestone, particularly when you think about it in many ways, it's almost like a joint venture, right? It's a collaborative group. And that's partnerships are not easy to put together and it's not easy to, for them to last and, involve and evolve for a quarter of a century. So Certainly. that's Certainly. significant.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you there, and and again another reason for the municipalities to be proud that they've been together for 25 years, and and I think that there's such a strong value proposition here that it's really propelled. I think it's helped that the the value and the service that the Industrial Heartland Association provides, it's it's really helped propel this area, and I think that adds value to the entire region, and so that's also part of the story here for 25 years. And then with respect to our our activities next year, I think we we have two. Uh, Two ways I like to describe it. We're both proactive because we have a proactive marketing plan, but we're also reactive. Of course, any company that gives us a call and said, we heard about you or we met you at this conference or whatever it is, and and we want to consider our next capital. We will always respond to those we will work with companies. So we'll continue on the reactive front always because that's part of what we do. On a proactive side of things, of course, there's all the, I think there'll be more excitement around petrochemicals. I think that the announcement on Dow will really... I think trigger a lot of global petrochemical companies to maybe take a second look at what's going on in Alberta. We will uh subsequently be following up in those sectors, um, piggybacking a little bit off the great news story that's yeah, happening here.
1: Absolutely. And then the other
2: trend that I will continue to work work on, which I mentioned just previously as well, is all of the industrial decarbonization interests around low carbon products really. Uh, gives us an opportunity to connect with companies around the industrial heartland, and it being a, dest- a capital a destination for their capital. And then, thirdly, we see we call them diversification projects because they're not outside your trip; they are outside their typical petrochemical space. But a lot of interest in critical minerals and battery precursor materials and not your traditional pet chem, methane, ethane, propane space, but yeah. still you take advantage of the all of the advantages here. The infrastructure that's here, the workforce that's here, the carbon capture sequestration, all that's here. Or production of other intermediate products that can ultimately go into other value-added products in Canada. So that's where we see our activities. It's always a little bit fluid. We'll go where... Um, we're seeing uh, interest from companies, but that's the general sense of what's going to be happening next year.
1: And that's, It's exciting. And I think you're right. You have a great growth platform with the Dow announcement, with the carbon capture capacity that's in, in place. And then of course, all the natural resources that the region brings. So I think it's cool. I can't wait to see what happens.
2: Yeah, I think we're very, we're just so fortunate that the natural resources just puts this region in a natural competitive advantage right off the top. Yeah. But then As from being in the U.S. Gulf Coast is clustering has benefits too. And then as you grow your cluster, you continue to enhance the competitive advantages of the region. And that's what we're seeing, right? You start to hit a critical mass. There's more outputs that become inputs for another facility. And there's more optionality for companies to have uh, uh, competition around their inputs uh, for their facilities in the region. And so as we're growing this cluster, we continue to become more and more competitive. And I think continue to become more of a, again, a global destination for capital.
1: I think that's right. Success begets success when people want to be where successful businesses are.
2: Yeah, it just, it starts to become as self-fulfilling as you get more and more competitive. Exactly. Success continues to follow after that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Great. Mark, this has been awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today on The Chemical Show and sharing some insights from Alberta's industrial heartland and more.
2: I appreciate the chance to have a conversation with you. Really enjoyed it and have yourself a great afternoon.
1: Thank you, too. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing. And we will talk again soon.
0: We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit TheChemicalShow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.